Jim Marshall, who was a former defensive player for the Vikings. He, in a game against the San Francisco 49ers, saw the football, picked it up, ran it back for a touchdown for the other team on national television. And he was like, he said, it was the most devastating moment of my life. The shame overtook me. He said, if you make a mistake, you've got to make it right. He realized he had a choice. He could sit in misery or do something about it. So he pulled himself together for the second half and helped his team win. And then he went on to talk to people all the time about like, what is the most shameful thing that happened to you? And how did you overcome it? And how did it make you better? Right. This idea of in our moments of failure, that's where we face things that we need to face and become better. Hello, everybody. I'm Rachel Phillips-Buck, VP for Student Success Affairs Resources. You joined us for Cap and Gown. I'm joined by Matt Boisvert, our president. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having uh, me. Yeah. Thank you so I'm always so happy when you get to join me. And we have, a. am so excited about today because first of all, Christmas is coming. And we're celebrating Christmas, also a little bit celebrating the end of the year. Absolutely. It's a rough year. <laughs> so I'm definitely celebrating that a little bit. Um, we have just gotten back from University of Mary Harden Baylor, where we got to go and spend the day yesterday. And their campus is a buzz because they are headed on Friday to Canton for their Division Three championship game, football game. So that's super fun. Um, Also, it was just nice to be with people and nice to be on a campus. And I love their campus. It's beautiful. It's really remarkable. I had a friend uh, who they went and did a campus tour and they said, wow, this is a real hidden gem. And I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, what what did we see? It's like chartered by the state of Texas in 1845, which that's a while ago. So <laughs> they have a lot of great history on their campus. Um, really great to spend time with our friends there. That was really fun. Um, also, this is our last cap and gown until January 4th. So we are taking some time off to celebrate the holidays to be with our family um, to do some traveling. And so we decided to just, we're just going to put 2021 to bed and then next time we come back it'll be on new year and it'll be very exciting right i think everyone will be on break so we should go on break yeah for sure um and then i want to i'm really excited about today because we are getting to give away some of our favorite things which are books So over the next 12 days, we are doing a giveaway. We will tell you how you can get involved with that after we do State of the Union. Um, But I would just say it's been so fun to think about all of the books that we've read this year and the ways that you will, um, we're going to do a little blurb about each of them and why we love them. And then we're going to be giving them away over the next 12 days. Although we've had a lot of consternation because depending on how you count, it's like 11 days until Christmas. This is a real question. And, and, you know, the, the, the 12th day of Christmas is actually 12 days after Christmas, if you're so, but we figured we have 12 days of Christmas if we start now, today. Yeah, today, all the way to Christmas. So we're going to be giving very, something very away. Very clever. So the way that you can 
get any of the things that we're talking about today is you need to follow us on Instagram, Ferris Resources, and like our post. Every day we're going to be posting a new thing that we're going to give away, and we're going to give a preview of that, and then we will be picking from the those people. So please do that because we're I'm excited about it. And I listen, a book giveaway is like my most favorite thing. Yeah, I think you've had, a, you've had a great time going through this this week, thinking through the different books that you love. It's like yeah. Rachel, we're we're entering into Rachel's library. Yes, so. this is my favorite thing. Okay, so let's start with State of the Union, and then we are going to go through the twelve things that we're giving away. I just want to say, first of all, you guys know about these awful, awful tornadoes. Five states over this weekend. So many things destroyed: businesses, homes, lots of people affected. Um, <clears throat> we're looking at our university partners all across, especially, um, in Kentucky, thinking about Western Kentucky, who was not hit, but opened up all of their doors to their neighbors who did not have homes. So grateful for that Murray state university in Murray, Kentucky, um, experienced widespread storm damage. And yet all of the universities around them have really mustered up help. So we are thinking about anybody who's affected by that, yeah. which is such a scary really overwhelming. I can't even imagine how awful that is. So thinking about that. So Matt, did you see this article inside higher ed test optional may not apply to homeschooled students, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, so the population of homeschooled students is a very, very small population of students in the United States. However, it has doubled in the last year, right? So it's like 10%. Yeah. Um, and so we continually in our time together talk about the difficulty of test optional and how admissions counselors and then also student support is just saying, we have to have a way to understand how academically prepared these students are. And so if we do away for tests, like we, so we've talked about this before, but homeschooled is a really interesting perspective because it maybe is the only objective quantifiable number that a school would have to understand a homeschooled student's experience, right? Because curriculum is different depending on your state and who's teaching you. And we don't know how evenly those classes are being um, provided to students. And so they're talking about making testing optional, uh, optional for everybody except for homeschooled students. Um, basically, the idea is that schools are likely not going to, uh, to return to their pre-pandemic test uh, requirements. And so if not for tests, how do we objectively assess what homeschooled students know? Which I think so is- So ACT, SAT, I- I understand what you're saying about homeschool, but also talking to our other schools across all of their students, it's been very hard for them to identify who their conditionally admitted students should be. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so I don't know, I, I understand the test optional. Um, it's opened up a lot of doors for a lot of students and other universities, but I, I would be surprised if, I, I think ACT and SAT will work very hard to make it uh, required moving forward. Well, of course they will, but the question is whether the industry will do what they say. I guess it depends on how much money they have, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, the pan uh, pandemic, we know shrank the higher education workforce. This is not news to us. 
Um, there's an article in Inside Higher Ed about this. I, I don't love this article because I find it to be not completely clear. So the higher education workforce shrank by 4% in the fall of 2020 than it did in pre-pandemic, okay? So there were lots of layoffs. Um, this new data is coming out of the US Education Department to give this look at what happened. Basically, they're saying um, that uh, job losses affected different groups of employees differently. The decline of part-time employees was uh, four times greater than the drop of full-time positions. So for part-time employees, the drop was 7.5%. For full-time positions, the drop was 1.8%. This affected community colleges way more than other colleges. So community colleges lost about 11% of their employees, where if we look at four-year privates, they were down 39 so there is some data, this article, if you wanna go look it up in an inside higher ed, it gives you a breakdown, all staff, instructional staff, research staff, public service. So there's a huge breakdown. What it doesn't tell you is whether or not these are people who quit or whether or not this was a reduction in jobs. And I think it's a really interesting question because as we're thinking about the great resignation, there are a bunch of people who are like, I'm not doing that job. That's not what I signed up for. And I will tell you in our Facebook group um, that I'm part of, which is higher education in the pandemic, the only things that are being posted right now are job openings. So I'm not sure what happened here. Well, I think you have a lot of people who retired, um, who decided to retire, and the university didn't fill those positions. I think for all of our schools, they're feeling it for our, for our partners. They're feeling it um, because you know there are unfilled positions Maybe it hasn't been funded. It's an unfunded position now. A person left and it hasn't, that funding hasn't come back. There's a lot happening. And it's, it's um, so you see, you know, like you said, it's affecting every industry, but yeah. it's definitely affecting uh, higher ed. And when you look at community colleges, there are a lot of part-time uh, instructors and, and positions at community colleges that, that have been more affected. That's right. So on the faculty side, part-time instructors jobs declined 7.5%, which as opposed to your full-time faculty positions, which dipped 1.3%. So right. I think we need some more information, but definitely to say whether it's because jobs are eliminated or because people left, the people who remain are doing a lot more than they were doing before COVID because they have these job responsibilities that are not being filled by anyone else. Absolutely right. Okay, two interesting articles that I have for you. One it comes from CNBC. This is about the stay interview, which I love. It's the antithesis to the exit interview. And this article talks about how you should be going to all of your employees and talking honestly about whether they feel a sense of psychological safety um, at your job. And you remember, you and I talked about this with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that it used to be like, my job was just supposed to keep me safe and give me money. But now all of a sudden people are like, mm, there's kind of more to life than that. And so I have higher expectations. So this article suggests that you meet with each one of your um, employees and you say things like, what excites you to come into work? Do you feel good about your impact of your work? What do you want to do more of at work? What do you want to do less of? Do you see a future for yourself at this company? How are things the same or different from you? And if you were the manager for a day, what would you do differently? Which I love that question. Yeah. Um, 
And then also that you would ask, why would you leave our company? So <clears throat> do you need more recognition? Do you need a pay raise? Would you jump ship if you could have a higher title? Do you understand what the next step in your career is, right? These are all things why people might decide to leave. And so I think just to sit down and have that conversation, it would be an amazing experience for anybody and also will will tell you a lot, right? Yeah, I love fact, it. Go ahead. No, I love it. And, and thinking about the stay interview, I mean, we talk a lot uh, with, with schools I'm surprised at the number of schools who don't do exit interviews to find out why students leave, yeah. but they're definitely not doing the stay interviews to find out, you know, all of those questions. If you take all of those questions and apply those to what you should be asking students, maybe in the rest halls, just in like Absolutely. casual conversation um, for, for seniors to talk to freshmen about their experience, to have some mentoring opportunities there. There's a lot that you can learn from your students uh, by doing a stay interview. Yeah. So I think what you said is right in the res hall is the right way to do that. This idea is it's really informal. It's not like we're yeah. sitting down with paper and pencil, but that we're just saying, hey, I'm trying to get my a sense of the last thing I'll say about that is that they're saying, please be very clear when that conversation is done, what's going to happen. Thank you so much for your input. Here's what I've heard you say. Here's what I'm going to do with this. Right. So don't ask if you're not going to do a thing. Absolutely. The worst thing you can do is ask for feedback and then ignore it. <laughs> yes, for sure. So, um, okay, one more article that I'll bring your attention to from medium.com. I really love this. I think it's worth a read. It's called Five Levels of Remote Work and Why You're Probably at Level Two. So, I'm just going to summarize really briefly, but I would say read this article and really assess where you are in terms of remote work. So number one level is non-deliberative action. This is where we all were in March of 2020, where everybody went home. We had like email and phone calls, but we'll just wait for the important stuff until we're back in the office, right? So that's level one. Like, we don't know what we're doing. Here's where we find ourselves. Yeah. Next level is recreating the office online. That's where they're saying most people are right now. And it's where you have Zoom and you have Slack and you have email. But instead of adjusting to the flexibility of working online, you're like, hey, we have to keep doing things the way we've always been doing them just with new mediums. So he says it's like when the technology of radio came about and people are like, we know how to do plays. We'll just do plays on the radio, right? It takes a while for you to be like, oh, we could do things a little bit differently on right. the radio than we have before. Um, level two is still about nine to five. So this is where employees are, are in, installing tracking software. Like, are you working? Are you working? Are you working between nine and five? Which is a little bit crazy town, but okay. Oh. Level three. Yeah, it's crazy. Level three, adapting to the medium. So this is things like using shared Google Docs, Docs that we all can see at the same time. Being really thoughtful about how you schedule meetings, why you schedule meetings, how long the meetings are. Um, making sure that you're not using meetings just to communicate information, but actually to press an agenda forward, which I really appreciate. Level four is asynchronous. That's where we're going to, but most things are not pressing. So we're going to choose our medium to say like, hey, I'm going to send you an email because you can address it whenever you want to. Um, I'm going to make sure to include sufficient details and a due date and action items so that when you get to it, you can, you know, have what you need so that you're not kind of uh, volleying back and forth. Like, what about this? What about this? What about this? I like this level because it um, is good for night owls. 
So like, instead of nine to five, like if you want to work three to what 12 or whatever, then you can do that as long as there's some overlap with your colleagues. So, and then the last one is Nirvana, which is like, you've got everything worked out and it's great. So helpful article. I would encourage you to go read it. All right. Do you have more to add to that? <laughs> no, I was just thinking, I mean, we've worked really hard over the last year. I, I was thinking through, so where are we at these different levels? And I wonder in higher ed for our partners, do they still have some partners who uh, across campus who are working from home and how, so where are you at in that? Are, are you at level two or are you starting to work out your systems? That's a, that's a great article, really interesting. Yeah, super helpful. Okay, the last one just makes me happy. It is about how ACU during finals brought, you've heard of stress puppies. They brought stress bunnies. I so like it. They had a bunch of bunnies um, in their library so that people could come and cuddle them and relieve some stress. I love it, but also it just reminds me that most of you have finals week behind you. You're in that period, like you're still working, but the students are off campus, but you don't miss them yet because you're tired or you're in finals week going into that period. So we made it through fall of 2021. Hallelujah. <laughs> and That's that. What go ahead. You can do oh, my no, it's yours. No, it's yours. No, go ahead. And that is the State of the Union. All right, good job. So let's get to our giveaways because I'm super excited about these. So remember, you guys, the way that you can get these giveaways is you can follow us um, on Instagram and then like our posts every day for the next 12 days until Christmas. We're going to be giving away a different resource. And our job in the next 40 minutes is to just give you the lowdown of these different resources and how we've used them. So today, we are gonna give away the art of community. You have heard me talk about this many times. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, there we go. Um, one thing I wanna say about this, so you know all of the different uh, principles for belonging. One thing that this book does though, is it gives you worksheets to go through and actually answer questions about each of those different things. So I wanna give you some examples. Boundaries, um, think about your university, right? Boundaries. How do we know someone's on the inside? How do we welcome newcomers? Though that conversation would take a long time to like go through all the details of how we do those two things. Initiation, another uh, principle of belonging. How do visitors transition to members and how do they learn to become members? So how do they learn? I was telling you when I was at AC, nobody walked on the grass. It made me crazy because I was like, if I just go diagonally, I can get where I'm going much faster. But I learned as a freshman, as I'm looking around, like, oh my gosh, no one's walking on the grass, right? So how do you teach a good other sign people? if you're walking on the grass or walking quickly on the grass, you're running late to something. Like yeah, for sure. You have to be able to break the, yeah, break the rule and be like, I got to go. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, rituals. What activities and events are important rituals for the community? And when and how do members display their participation so they can see each other in community? So I love that question. Uh, Matt, you're always asking our schools, what are the things that if a student engages in, you know they're getting the full experience? And I think that's right. what the ritual piece is about. Right. Temple, where's the most important place in your community and why is it important? So, you know, at our alma mater, 
uh, Moody Coliseum before chapel is where everybody was. And you knew you were gonna run into everybody there because everyone had to come to chapel. That was a really sacred right. space. Stories, how and when do you tell your origin story and what stories do you tell so newcomers understand your core community? So I love that. We have stories at Ferris that we tell that talk about values. When I tell the story of being an at-risk student and my experience, the reason I'm telling that story is to say, we understand uh, the shame that, that an at-risk student. I think storytelling is so important. I'll, so this was amazing for me as a freshman at my alma mater. Um, in my U100, we had dinner at the house of John C. Stevens. Uh, that's the, the street I live on. That's your street named after former president of the university. That's crazy. But for him to just tell the stories of um, the university, the history of the university from the mouth of the former president was pretty incredible. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So I love stories. I, I love telling stories. I think okay. it's really important, uh, Rachel, and, and this kind of le leads to the next one, but um, you know, capturing stories like I always think about uh, Southwest Airlines and how they storytell along the walls of their corporate office, because, you know, Herb Kelleher, there, there were a lot of there. He's kind of a myth, a legend. And so the, the ability as you're walking down to see the picture of him arm wrestling and what that story is about. I mean, there were, there's just a lot. There's yeah. a lot of things that happen on your campus that that um, you should be proud of and you need to you need to let your new um, members hear about. Yeah, talk about symbols. What are the most important symbols for your community? And we are always talking about tangible tokens that represent, hey, you did this. Remember this. You're part of us now. So I love that. Yeah. And then inner rings. Uh, what are the names for your inner rings? So if you think about student leadership, how do people move into those inner rings where you have some of that leadership potential, I think is really awesome. So I was thinking about like, if you've never met a student, say a senior, and, and they came up to you, you'd never met them before, but they told you, oh, I'm in this group. I'm a part of this. Then you'd be like, oh, you're in the inner ring. What are those inner rings on, on your campus? Um, those members who have influence on the culture and the direction. Yeah, I think that's really great. So this is an awesome book. It's going to explain each of those different principles of belonging, but then also give you a worksheet to lead you through those pieces. We made this, I think in 2018 or uh, 2020, we made this our book of the year. Is that right? You know, with COVID, I don't, I think it's yes, right. I think January 20. Yeah. So this was our book of the year. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Ferris Resources. Like this book today, and then we will maybe we'll send it to you with a handwritten note that says thanks so much for listening to us. Okay. Tomorrow we are giving away Upstream by Dan Heath. Great Dan book. Yeah, Dan and his brother have written several really awesome books. Um, the Power of Mom Moments is another book that he's written. Also Decisive Hate Switch. Made to Stick. So love this book. We also have done a podcast on this book. Um, this is the book about the guys who are like watching these kids go down the river and they're having to jump in and save them. And then one of them starts leaving is like the other guy's like, where are you going? We have to save these kids. And he's like, I'm going to go find the crazy man who's up the river and keeps throwing these kids in. Right. So how do we think upstream to solve problems? This book actually comes with a suggested reading list, which what that means is like, read this book and then here's nine other books that you should read, which I love. It makes me very happy. 
This is the book where we get quotes, um, two quotes that I really love. Can you put them up, Matt? The first one um, is about uh, moving your chair. So this idea of like, we're trying to understand a problem, but like from where I sit, I can't understand your perspective, right? And so Dan Heath is like, move your chair, why don't you? Get a different perspective, step over next to somebody else in a different place, in a different time and try to understand what's going on so you can solve problems. And the other one I think is so powerful is, every system was designed to get the result it gets. So if you don't like the results you're getting, then you better go back to your design of your system and figure out where are the places where it's broken? Because we can't blame outcomes. I'm like, oh my gosh, well, we don't know why that happened. We have to do a really systematic assessment of how was the system designed? What was it trying to accomplish? And then make tweaks to get the kind of outcomes that we want. So I love that one. So um, if, um, so this is tricky. This comes out on Wednesday, right? Yeah. So tomorrow. Tomorrow, if you follow us on Instagram, then you'll know tomorrow we'll give you the prompt for you to, to like it. And then you're you're going to be on the list. And you can like as many as you want, right? We don't yeah. care. You can, yeah. you can like everything. That's great. So upstream is about things like problem blindness, how you run, uh, unite the right people, making sure that you're changing the right system, avoiding doing harm. It's a really, really, if I were looking for a, especially given what's happened in higher education, a book for my team at an institution to read, I think Upstream would be an awesome one. Um, yeah, to, that will be tomorrow. On Thursday, we have this book, which is The Price You Pay for College. And this one's a little bit strange. You guys have heard me talk about this before. Um, it's a roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make. So it actually was written for parents. What I like about this book is that it will give you, I mean, I've worked in higher education for a very long time, longer than I'd like to say, and it gave me a new perspective on some of the values of education. So the book review for this just says, this is going to help readers apply to, choose, and pay for college in order to uh, navigate this enormously expensive system that is higher education. It's written by Ron Lieber, who's a personal financial columnist for the New York Times. And he says, um, first of all, students value college for lots of different reasons, an intellectual quest for knowledge, an emotional search for kinship, a pragmatic quest for a credential and a job, and a rung higher on the socioeconomic level. And so to understand that's how students and parents are looking for value yeah. and the way you're talking about your school, I think is super important. Uh, and he really talks about for parents breaking down the business of higher education and gives parents very specific questions to ask as they're thinking about what college they send their student to. So things like how many adjunct um, professors do you have and how many, what are the opportunities for mentorship and how many people live on this campus? And is it a residential campus? Like do most people stay on campus? So I would just go through those questions and have a really clear understanding of how you can articulate the value. Well, if you understand that, I don't know how many parents have read this. Several of my friends, I, I uh, recommended it on Facebook and, and a lot of my friends bought it and started talking to me about it because it was so eye-opening for them. But if yeah. you have parents who are kind of reading this as a playbook and you don't know what their questions are going to be, then your admissions team is not prepared 
when they come and visit with you, you're not prepared. So it's a great, even if you don't have a kid going to college, it's a great book to understand this is what parents are thinking about, worried about. Uh, and if you can come with solutions, you can have a great impact on their decision-making. Yeah, that's right. Because I know we hate it, but they are consumers. And so if you can understand, like, I know that you work at good institutions where you're doing great work for our students, but if you can understand what these parent consumers are looking for to be able to articulate that value and that vision, you're going to just be ahead of the game. So that's going to be a great one. Wednesday, we're giving away that. That will be awesome. Um, that's Thursday. Oh, sorry, Thursday. Thir- <laughs> Thursday. My calendar's off. Told Thursday, you. We'll, it's, we'll be giving away that. So on Thursday, again, if you're following us, you will know on Thursday. Okay. The next day, Friday the 17th, we are giving away thinking hats. You guys have heard, um, I talked to Anthony about this several months ago when we were on Emmanuel's uh, campus. So I love this book. This would be another one that I would encourage you to read with your team. The idea around six thinking hats is that we are doing parallel thinking with each other instead of oppositional. So we are asking everybody to think in the same way at the same time. So a quick rundown of the hats. We have um, the, will you show them to me? Okay, so we have the white hat, um, that really is about this idea of fact finding what is true, what are the facts. We have the red hat that's looking at emotions. We have the black hat that's looking at caution and things that might go wrong. The yellow hat that's very optimistic, the green hat that's creative, and the blue hat that's thinking about how do we put all these things together. And I would just say in higher education so often, we win in a room when we can be critical, when we are the best critical thinkers, when we can think of all the ways a thing is going to fail, right? Can I rephrase that? We think we win. The culture right. is that if we can be the most clever at, at pitching the argument, to be right. the most cautious, the most pessimistic, right? The let's, let's water down what's being said here. Let's not get too carried away. That it tends to be the culture on a lot of our campuses. Yeah. And, and you and I have, have been on teams where we've had a black hat and I've loved black hats. I don't I mean, think it's like a black hat. Yeah. We all need to use that skill. That is a really important skill. So the, the nice thing about this is we are all a black hat at the same time. And then we put that on the shelf and then we're all a yellow hat at the same time. And then we put that on the shelf and then we're all you, right. So then you That's win the by being yeah, you win by being the most flexible thinker, not by only being able to p- present this thing. And the other thing I'll say is that it orders our thinking. So this is a quote from the book. Confusion is the biggest enemy of good thinking. We try to do too many things at one time. We're looking for information. We're affected by how we feel. We're seeking new ideas. We have to be cautious. we got to find benefits. That's a lot of things that we're supposed to be doing at one time. And so if we can all say right now, let's think about the benefits. Okay, put that away. What do we need to be cautious about? Okay, put that away. How do we feel about this? What's our gut feeling right on this decision we're making? Um, I just, I use this book. Um, I talked the other day about Pathlight. I use this book with decision-making in career um, just to help students go through to make sure they're covering all of their bases and also to identify the, the ones that they're really good at. And then the ones that they need to find other people to help them think more flexibly in those areas. So I, I just love this the, from, from the standpoint of, so typically I'm, I'm 
a yellow or a green hat. I, I think that's kind of my typical, um, but to be given kind of the allowance, like to think in a different way is, yeah. is really a gift. And when you can give that to someone who, who it has found value, traditionally found value on a campus, being the black hat, you give, maybe they don't love that role. Um, I can think of a couple of people who maybe do love that role, but this is a great exercise uh, where, where you can rally and, and build a team. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that will be on Friday the 17th, follow and like us, uh, Ferris Resources on Instagram. So Saturday the 18th is my favorite. We are giving away two memoirs that you and I both adore. Um, yeah. And the first one is Burrow Genius. The second one is A Pearl in the Storm. So I want to talk a little bit about these, but I also want to give you an excerpt. These are both about people who found a lot of heartache in education, but also a lot of redemption in, in education. So I want to start with Burrow Genius. This is by Victor Villasenor. He is an author um, of a lot of different novels, but this is his memoir. He is a Mexican-American who was living in California. He was being sent to, um, this is in the 1940s, so he was in English-only American schools where he was really shamed because he didn't, English wasn't his first language, which is crazy town because he speaks two languages, but in the 40s, he was being really shamed about that and was made fun of and wasn't getting good grades. And so I want to read an excerpt out of this because I just think it's so moving to think about the impact of teachers and the impact of education on students. So um, he has a teacher who's really harsh and unkind to him and gives him failing grades in English all the time. And he has a substitute teacher who comes in and asks the class to write something um, for, you know, like, okay, everybody write an essay. So he turned in his story and he called it the smartest human I ever met, my brother's dog, Shep. Here's what he says. The next day when I got my paperback, I had an A. Instantly, I knew there was something really wrong with this substitute teacher. I'd never gotten an A in my entire life. So I took Mr. Swift aside to speak to him so he wouldn't get in trouble. Look, I said to him, you might not know a lot about going, or you might know a lot about going down cliffs of snow and surfing, sir, but I don't think you know too much about teaching. Why do you say that, he said. My heart was pounding like a mighty drum. I knew that I'd be cutting my own throat by saying what I was about to say, but I had to. I didn't want Mr. Smith Swift to get in trouble. I liked him. I really did. Because you see, sir, I said, my heart beat, beat, beating. I am a Mexican. And so you can't be giving me an A. You have to give me a D or a C. Maybe you could get away with giving me a C plus. Tears burst forth from my eyes because I've had a few of those, but you can't, I added, feeling so tight in my chest, I could hardly breathe. Give me an A. It's wrong. He looked at me like he didn't know what I was talking about, took a deep breath and gently put his hand on my shoulder. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. All I know is I never saw an animal as smart and special until I read your story. Just keep writing as pure and honest as you wrote today. I'm looking forward to reading what you write what you'll write tomorrow. The A remains. I was double, triple, quadruple shocked. I'd never had an A in all my life. My heart was beat, beat, beating a million miles an hour. I wrote that day in class as I'd never written before, expanding on the story I'd written about Shep and how, and how on the night of my brother's death, Shep had howled all night long at the moon. Class was over, but I was so far away in my writing that I hadn't even realized it was over and the rest of the students were getting up so we could be marched to our next class. 
My God, Mr. Swift had been right. Once we got out of the confines of spelling and punctuation, reading and writing could be so exciting. For the, for the next three days, I got A's on all of my papers. I finally even forgot that I was me Mexican and not a good student and all those other derogatory things that have been pounded into my head ever since I'd begun school. For the first time in my life, I was no longer one of the slowest learners in my grade. I was simply a regular kid who loved to come to school, work extra hard on my homework at home, and could hardly wait to get to school in the morning so I could go to English class. I was flying. I was an eagle shooting across the heavens. It's not so good. I love it. And, and you think about, we've, we've said this a lot, but the transformational power of education, but more than that, to, to be seen, for yeah. someone to say, I see you. And, yeah. and, you know, there's a lot, Mr. Swift, what he brought to, to him. I mean, he's a successful author today. And yeah. And and what I love about that is, is that this substitute teacher came in and changed his life, gave him a different vision for who he could be. For sure. So this story goes on to say that his teacher comes back and all the students say, which, sorry, Matt, I told you I was going to cry about this because I hate it. So all of the students come back and say, our stupid substitute gave Victor A's and we all know he's not an A student. And his teacher got all his papers and crossed out A's and wrote D's on them without even reading them. And he says, um, my teacher took my paper, my third paper that I'd written my full name, Victor Edmundo Villasenor. Normally I only wrote Victor Villasenor. And the first thing he did was lash a line across Edmundo and wrote Edmund in huge letters and laughed again and told the whole class that I was so stupid. I didn't even know how to spell my own name. And he gave me an F without reading my paper. Gross. Well, well it's heartbreaking because you just think both of those teachers have part of his story. And one of them is like this shining beam of light and then the other one is just a beat down so it's an awesome book um i can't recommend it enough we're giving this away on saturday um in conjunction with pearl um a pearl in the storm so can you talk about this book and and what it is so um a mentor of mine uh recommended this book to me and as i read it um tori McClure, uh, Myrna McClure, she is the first woman to um, row across the Atlantic. She's the first woman and the first American to ski to the South Pole. She's an amazing human being. She's also the president of Spalding University um, in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. Also, she invited us to her house and we got to spend three hours with this amazing human being. She which did. Was remarkable so we have a lot more to say about that she is just um unbelievable but her story is that she also was in public schools for a very long time right oh. um, so will you set up i want to read just an expert the excerpt of this will you set up the quote i'm about to read well so she had been in public school and and her experience in public school you you really have to read the book because you start to learn a lot about her as a protector and as a fighter for her brother, how she kind of steeled up going through public school. But then she had a teacher who was like, hey, you're smart. 
we would rather use your brain than your fists. You should go, we think you should go to private school. You'd be very successful. So long story short, she moves to Louisville, Kentucky, where her grandmother lives and starts this college prep, uh, all, all girls uh, yeah. school. Right. And so the thing is that she says, I'm pretty sure to this day that my teachers from this other school cheated so that I would be accepted. Right. So she doesn't, I mean, it's not true. She's, in, she's a genius. She's right. very, she, she graduated from Harvard. So she's smart, but she was really worried. And I'm going to read this in terms of sense of belonging. So can we just listen to yeah. it in terms of her anxiety that she is not the real deal that her teachers somehow forged everything for her to get in. Right. Okay. So here's another teacher story. A few weeks into the semester, when I took my first history test, I thought I'd done quite, quite well, but when the test came back, I received a D minus. Worse than that, there was a note from Mrs. Longley at the top of the cover sheet. It read, please see me. I was devastated. I'd never gotten a D in my life. After class, I bolted from the room. It took me several days to work up the courage to go see Miss Longley. When I entered her classroom, I was so terrified my teeth chattered. I sat in my usual desk and Miss Longley took a seat in the desk next to mine. She asked, what happened? I've never taken that kind of test before. At my old school, the tests were true or false or multiple choice. I thought I did okay. Miss Longley went over the test with me question by question. In the format of a conversation, my answers were flawless. Once she was satisfied, I knew the material. Mrs. Longley stood up and began to pace the room. Mrs. Longley had been in the Navy in World War II and her military bearing was impossible to miss. You've never written answers to a test in essay form. Barely raising my voice to a whisper, I answered, no ma'am. She asked, have you ever written a term paper? My classmates have been discussing term paper since the first day of school. Brimming with frustration, I asked, what is a term paper? Before she could stop herself, the words, oh my, escaped Miss Longley's lips. She took several deep breaths. Once she steadied her nerves, she sat next to me again and asked about my academic background. Except for kindergarten and first grade, I'd always gone to public schools. I've never written anything longer than two and a half pages. Okay, Mrs. Longley said, raising a hand to indicate she'd heard enough. Then she sat quietly for a long time. My secret is out. I don't belong in this school and Mrs. Longley knows it. They'll send me back to Pennsylvania. Just, uh, I don't belong, I don't belong. Without looking, Miss Longley put her hand on my arm, an indication I should stay quiet. Something told me she was calculating whether I had scholastic potential. I could almost visualize her turning over my future in her mind. Mrs. Longley was in her 60s. Was I worth her time? She gazed at the ceiling for a moment, then looked at me. When her decision was made, Mrs. Longley stood with perfect dig dignity. She walked back to her desk, lifted a box of Kleenexes, returned and handed me the box. When I looked up from my desk, her steely blue eyes conveyed assurance. This is not your fault, she said firmly. You have intelligence. I believe you are capable of doing this work. Your responses this morning prove you know the material when you took the, when you took the test. Your difficulties are mechanical. I attempted to respond, but only managed a sob. You are behind. Your peers have been writing essays and papers since they were old enough to write. I sniffled. It is understood that collegiate students will have several hours of homework every evening. What might take one of your classmates three hours to accomplish may take you six, but you must do it and do it all. She stressed the final word. I sat up a little straighter and managed a proper, yes, ma'am. If you study hard and do all of your homework, I will teach you the mechanics of how to take tests and write papers. And then she paused to be sure she had my full attention, but I cannot and will not do the work for you. 
No, ma'am. If there's any assignment you do not understand, you will find me here before or after school. Yes, ma'am. Now, if you'd like to sit a minute and pull yourself together, that would be acceptable. I would have soon lingered in a burning building. As I gathered my things to leave, Mrs. Longley opened a heavy book on her desk. Without looking up, she said, for the educated person, this world is an open book. To the ignorant, it is an unsolved mystery. I wiped away the last tears with my sleeve. Yes, ma'am. Then Miss Longley looked at me over the top of her glasses and said, you don't like unsolved mysteries, do you? No, ma'am. I did it without bawling. <laughs> I think what's so amazing is as Tori rose across the Atlantic, when she becomes the first woman to row across the Atlantic, there's a, a boat that comes by and it's full of her friends. And there standing on the boat is Mrs. Longley. She said, standing regal. And um, she thought, it can't be it can't be oh what a surprise yeah. you just think about the power this woman had in tori's life um sure. to 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 change the way that she thought about herself the to help her be better equipped and to i mean she so she goes on she get a, gets a law degree she has a, a degree from harvard like you said i mean um yeah this woman clearly clearly had an impact in her life. And it's just so, again, so powerful to think about, you have that opportunity in front of you every day to find that student who just needs to feel like, yeah, I belong, I belong. So I wanna read one more piece of this, but I wanna tie it to our next book that we're gonna give away. So we're giving away those two memoirs on Saturday the 18th. Um, the next book that we're going to give away is Mindset by Carol Dweck. So this is the new psychology of success. You and I use this all the time when we're talking about students, when we're trying to be great parents. Um, so I want to dive into that book, but I want to call back to Miss Longley because uh, Tori also has this in her book. After this has happened with Miss Longley, she says, Miss Longley would meet me before school to address any questions I might have about my homework. In English, we were reading the ancient Greek playwright Euripides. It was not enough for Miss Longley that I'd read the assigned text. She insisted I learn the context in which Euripides wrote. You cannot understand what he was trying to say unless you know something about the world in which he lived. Over time, Miss Longley learned more and more about the world in which I lived, but she did not accept excuses. She explained, it would be simple for a young woman with your history to adopt the role of a victim. Have you ever heard of a successful victim? I shrugged, no man. Ma'am, you will not achieve anything of merit by proving you have been more victimized by someone else. It's silly. Yes, ma'am. You cannot control what goes on at home, but you can do your homework. You can come to school early. You can stay late, study at a friend's house, go to the library, but get your work done. Yes, ma'am. Had Mrs. Longley accepted excuses, helplessness might have retained a foothold in my life. Why is it the words helpless and victim always go together? So it's a great introduction to this book on mindset, because mindset is about the idea that um, becoming is more important than being, that it's not about like, you are what you are, what you are. And if you're shown to be a failure or you do something wrong, then it exposes you for not smart, not good enough, not a good athlete, right? Whatever the thing is. Um, we have to allow people the luxury of becoming great and becoming uh, what they are meant to be. And so this book 
uh, talks for, first of all, about Jim Marshall, who was a former defensive player for the Vikings. He, in a game against the San Francisco 49ers, saw the football, picked it up, ran it back for a touchdown for the other team on national television. And right. he was like, he said, it was the most devastating moment of my life. The shame overtook me. He said, if you make a mistake, you've got to make it right. He realized he had a choice. He could sit in misery or do something about it. So he pulled himself together for the second half and helped his team win. And then he went on to talk to people all the time about like, what is the most shameful thing that happened to you? And how did you overcome it? And how did it make you better, right? This idea of in our moments of failure, that's where we face things that we need to face and become better. Um, it's just such a powerful way to parent. It's a powerful way to teach. It's not that you're smart or dumb, but like Miss Longley said, like you work hard. When you work hard, you will be successful. And that's how you know that you can achieve what you want to, which clearly Tori took to heart because she has always, she like picks the hardest thing to do and she does it, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. So McEnroe is a uh, fixed mindset. You were... Yeah. Yeah, so a way that fixed mindset people try to repair those their self-esteem after a failure is by assigning assigning blame. So they use Jack uh, McEnroe, John yeah. McEnroe, as an example. It was never his fault when he lost. One time he lost a match because he had a fever. One time he had a backache. One time he fell victim to expectations. Another time to the tabloids. One time he lost to a friend because the friend was in love and he wasn't. One time he ate too close to the match. One time he was too chunky. Another time too thin. One time it was too cold. Another too hot. Undertrained. Another time he was overtrained. Literally, these are literally things he said. <laughs> His most agonizing loss, the one that still keeps him up at night, was his loss in the 1984 French Open. Why did he lose after leading Ivan Lendl two sets to none? According to McEnroe, it wasn't his fault. An NBC cameraman had taken off his headset and a noise started coming from the side of the court. Goes on to say John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach, says, you aren't failing until you start to blame. What he means is you can still be in the process of learning from your mistakes until you deny I them. love that. So good. So mindset, that is going to be on Sunday the 19th. Ferris Resources on Instagram, like and follow. That's a great book. I get so happy. I'm so happy this time. I'm ha it's great because, you know, the last two times I was getting real riled up about stuff. So I'm happy to be able to be very cheerful this time. Good. Okay. Next, on Monday the 20th, we have five dysfunctions of a team. And Matt, you and I are going to do a whole podcast on this because yeah. I think it's so super I, relevant. It's great. So it's kind of, it starts off and, and Patrick Lencioni, he, he sets it up in kind of a fable story. Um, in the back are, are the like actual frameworks that he's put together for this and understanding the dysfunctions of a team. Listen, the reason why this is important to me and why we want to do a podcast on this is because I, I think one of the, the um, fallouts with COVID and being having to work from home and, and all of, all of the, the stress that we've had, um, even when you think about people who have left and not been replaced, um, there, there is a high risk of dysfunction on your team. And so let me just go through these different um, stages. And, and it kind of starts at the bottom. If you look here in, in the middle, the, it's a pyramid. And, and the bottom of it, it, it the foundation for a, a highly functional team is trust. So a, a dysfunctional team, the first piece is that there's an absence of trust. 
Um, and then when, when you have this absence of trust, it leads to a fear of conflict. So you don't trust that I can tell you the truth um, or that we can have a real conversation around things. I'm afraid that that's going to be taken the wrong way. It's gonna to lead to greater conflict. That leads to a lack of commitment um, to your goals as a team, to a, a lot of things that are happening, which leads to an avoidance of accountability. Um, and so the, the worst of all of that is an inattention to results. And I, and I think, um, so to me, there's a, there's a whole lot of these things, prone the storm, mindset, coming to dysfunctions of a team, how all of those kind of layer together and when I think about what's happening with our teams. And, and so in the book, I mean, there's just a lot of questions that you can start asking about uh, regarding your team. I'll just, you know, one is, is, does every member feel like they contribute to the team? And um, I think that's really important to be a part of a team instead of just an individual person who is around other, other individuals yeah. working on things. Um, also, is there mutual uh, respect for each team member? Um, we've said many times, Rachel, I just love our team. I just, this is so important to me that, that we have a, a good team, that we know uh, each other's strengths and weaknesses, that we can laugh about some of those, um, you know, and, and just uh, be able to, to have conversation around difficult issues as well. So um, there's a whole lot that, that we want to unpack. But if you uh, are following us on Instagram and on Monday, like our post, then we will send you or you're in the running to be sent the uh, five dysfunctions of a team. There, there's just a lot to unpack and, and look, look forward to that uh, podcast on its own sure that could be five dysfunctions of a family as well. I'm gonna have to think about that a little bit, but I'm pretty sure that would fit. So I'll get back to you on that one. Okay, Tuesday, the 21st, The New University. This book was written in 2018. We really love it. We do this exercise all the time. Like if we were starting a new university, what would we want to build? What's important? What legacy things would we say? We don't love that. We're not going to do that. And then what things would we really want to make sure that we include? I would say um, this book is a lot about boot camps and certificates and career focus. And so as you're thinking about career, I think this is a way for you to leverage some of those tools within your university to be able to build different programs and help. You know, we were just talking the other day about um, students who started at your university university, but didn't finish, can you create a certificate? So they have something to show, right? For the tuition and the classes that they did. So love that one. That one's going to be on Tuesday, the 21st. Did you have something to add about that one? I oh, think we're, I, no. Go ahead. I was just thinking about, you know, so on the certificate side, I really hope that your university is starting to have conversations around certificates because um, Google is, other big tech players are, and, and in fact, Google is putting together a certificate program that they say they treat a certificate earner from their program as that certificate being equal to a four-year college degree for yeah, and they're the, a huge the role employer. that they're highly. Yeah, so, so this is going to break some things. So, so okay. it's a great book. It's a great book. 
Wednesday, the 22nd, we are doing The Gift of Failure. Um, Jessica LaHaye, this is a great book for parenting, but also uh, when you get this book, they have a whole chapter on college and how parents need to parent their college student, which I think would be awesome to include in orientation for your parents of your freshmen. It talks about parents. Here's how you set help students set goals for their first year. So what do you want to accomplish and what are things that you could do in order to accomplish that, right? Making sure that you are identifying allies on campus. So if you feel overwhelmed, here are people that you can go talk to, which we have a lot to say about that, but that's a great idea. Um, checking in with your students around break. So, hey, how's it going? Are you accomplishing what you want to? Uh, locate your mute button parents, which means <laughs> you don't have to say everything that you want to say because your students are launching. And so they need to learn how to be autonomous from you. Um, roommate issues don't involve you. Faculty don't want to hear you complain about their syllabus or their policies or their absences. And then also, if you've done a good job with your kids, they're going to ask you for when they need help. So I love this as a parent, but also I think it's really, really helpful as we're thinking about parents who want to be involved in students' lives, how yeah. we can use some of the research and some of this idea of the, the um, benefit of failing, failing to help inform them how to move forward. So again... Rachel, how these come together. I was thinking about the art of community. Hey, parents, you're not invited to that community. Yeah. So you're, you just have a different role, right? It's like a little right. bit different. So Thursday, we're going to be giving away Excellence Wins by Horst Schultze. This has a lot of really great information just about how you can manage um, service, how you provide service. One thing that I love is he talks specifically about how to handle complaints. And so it's like, don't laugh it off, no matter how stupid the complaint is own the complaint immediately, apologize for it. And then two things I think especially are relevant for higher education, don't appeal to policy. So it's your fault if you have a bad policy, you need to go fix the policy. Don't say, sorry, this is what the policy says. Oh. And he also says, don't ever parade your expertise, which I think sometimes we're guilty of being like, the reason this happened is because the system is set up. So blah, blah, blah. Just yeah. help them figure out what to do. And they haven't read the catalog, you know? You have expertise, like just fix what needs to be done. So that's a yeah. great one. Excellent wins. That will be so, on Thursday. On Thursday. Okay. Okay. And then our last two are not books, but they're very exciting. On third on Friday, we are giving away two free registrations to our conference Bridging the Gap. That is our conference we do every year that is created to bridge the gap between academics and student development. Um, you've heard us talk about holistic software design. This is where we're going to our practice and we're saying to people all across higher education, will you please come and talk about how you have bridged the gap between these two sides of the house. So we had a great conference last year. We want to give you a free conference registration and then also for somebody on the other side of the house for you to invite them so you can do some brainstorming and thinking about bridging the gap. I love this conference. I think the content's awesome. So I was going to say, I'm looking at the people who joined us last year and I love them so much. I mean, their insight, the impact that they're having on their campuses, it's just really neat. It's, it's fun to see uh, each one of these people again and, and uh, look forward to them joining us next, uh, this, this coming next summer. Um, so bridging the gap, Look for that, but also on Instagram, if you like this, uh, then then <laughs> you'll be able to join. Make sure you're driving traffic to Instagram. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Here's the last one, Rachel. 
The last one is on Christmas. And I know. So, I mean, it's, it's Christmas. Right. That's what so, I'm saying. Yeah. What, what are you saying? Well, you, you really have to be following us because on Christmas, that's the only way you're really going to. Well, think some people it. use Instagram to keep up with their families. So they might be on Instagram because that's what I use Instagram for. Right. But on Instagram, we are giving away a Rocketbook bundle. So you guys have heard me talk about this before. It is. I don't know. I don't know what they say about it, but it's like reusable paper that you can wipe off erasable. Um, we have been converted to this. So almost everybody on our team use this like you would expect. Rachel Elam is an expert, so she can maybe give you some tips about it. So you will get a rocket book. It has all different pages in it. So like a calendar and a to-do list and lined paper and dotted paper. And we love it. Uh, you get a pen and then you also get the eraser. And so I just actually at Mary Harden Baylor, I was like, you guys need one of these. They should be selling. They should be giving me a kickback because I think they're amazing. But if you just want to win one, then um, on Christmas, make sure that you like it and we will draw from. What that. I love the most about the Rocket Book is it's kind of a, it's the bridge between digital yeah. and, and actually being able to have that feel and tangible. And because I was yeah. saying, like, I like to write. So if I'm writing something that needs to be captured, they have an app and I can send it to my email and I can share it and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes I just need to write to help me remember things or to help me focus or whatever. So love it. So okay. Rachel, that's 12 days. 12, 12 days, days for Christmas. I'm so excited. Maybe everybody who wins, I will have on the podcast so they can tell us what their favorite part of their book is that they won. Yeah. Um, also, I want to tell you guys, as we're looking forward to next semester, we have 12 weeks of Ferris tune-up. So if you are a Ferris client and would like to join us every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, we're going to do about 30 minutes of content for a different piece of your Ferris system. So whether that's care areas or users or security or types or faculty engagement, 30 minutes of content Wednesdays at 10 central. And then we're going to have round tables with our clients where we just say, what struggles do you face? What solutions do you have? How have you done this? So we're all very, very excited about that. Be looking for an invitation to that 12 week tune up starting. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's the week after the first week of January. So whatever that date is, I'm not sure. Uh, Wednesday, Wednesdays at 10 central. Shauna's on it. Shauna's on it. January, January 12th. Yes, thank you, Shauna. All right, friends, we are so excited to be able to celebrate with you over the next 12 days and give you these resources really as a thank you for spending this year with us, for joining us live or for listening to us as a podcast. It's such a joy for us to be able to hear from you guys how we've been beneficial to you, um, but also just to know that we have this time to be able to talk about things that are important and bring those resources. So thank you so much for being faithful listeners um, of us. Enjoy the next couple of weeks off and your holidays, and we will look forward to coming back together to talk about more things in higher education. We will be back in January. Thank Sounds you all. Good. Thanks, friends. Bye.